This is Mark Lemley from Stanford Law School, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Well, thank you for tuning in to the 20th edition of IP Fridays. Today we have an interview with the INTA president, Scott Evans. We will tell you about the unrest at the European Patent Office and we will talk about the newly established IPR court in Shanghai. But before that we want to tease our get-together for our listeners during the INTA meeting. We will be meeting on Tuesday, May the 5th of 2015 at 6 p.m. and we will make available a reservation link shortly. So if you are interested in meeting us and meeting your fellow listeners, mark the day, the May the 5th, Tuesday, during the INTI meeting. So on December 28th, the first standalone intellectual property rights court in Shanghai was officially unveiled. This follows a 25% increase in IPR cases in Shanghai. So just uh, to let you know, in 2013, there were 6,656 cases accepted at the IPR local, at the local courts in Shanghai. So these cases just mean the IPR cases, so intellectual property rights cases. It was an increase of 25% over the year 2012, and the Shanghai police handled 2,589 cases related to counterfeit and infringement, up almost 77% on 2012. If you want to read the whole story, just point your browser to www.ipfridays.com forward slash Shanghai www.ipfridays.com forward slash Shanghai. So now I'm very excited to announce the feature interview of today, which is with the INTA president Scott Evans, and Ken had the chance to talk to him. Thank you, Ralph. I am joined today by Mr. J. Scott Evans, who is the president-elect of the International Trademark Association, otherwise known in the industry as INTA. Mr. Evans currently serves as Associate General Counsel, Trademarks, Copyright, Domains, and Marketing at Adobe Systems Incorporated. Mr. Evans received his undergraduate degree from Baylor University and his Juris Doctor Cum Laude in 1992 from the Louis D. Brandeis School of Law at the University of Louisville. He first served as Corporate Counsel for Fruit of the Loom, where he was responsible for managing the international intellectual property portfolios, for Fruit of the Loom and its associate companies, the BVD Licensing Corporation, Gitano, Pro Player, and Salem Sportswear. In November 1996, Mr. Evans joined Adams Evans PA, where he continued to concentrate his practice in the areas of trademark, 
copyright, unfair competition, and internet law. In November 2007, he joined the legal team at Yahoo, where he served as a senior legal director, global brands, and trademarks. Mr. Evans joined Adobe Systems Incorporated in October 2013 as associate general counsel. He is a past president of the Intellectual Property Constituency, the body that participates on behalf of trademark and copyright owners in the ICANN policy process. Mr. Evans has twice been voted as one of the 50 most influential people in IP by Managing Intellectual Property Magazine. Welcome, Scott, to our program. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you, Scott. Paul. Sure, Scott. When did you take? Uh, when will you take the home over at Inta? The um, president-elect becomes president on January 1st of the year in which they'll serve as president. So for me, that's January 1st, 2015. Mm-hmm. So that's just not too long from now. Um, and are you uh, excited about your upcoming role? I am. I'm very excited. I'm very excited of, about getting to work with um, our new um, chief executive officer, um, Etienne. He um, has been with us a little over a year now. He came to us in July of 2013 mm-hmm. um, from OHIM, and he has a great vision for the organization. I'm very excited about getting to work with him and the other officers and the board of directors of, of the organization. Now, Scott, you've been practicing for a long time. When did you join INTA, and what have been some of the highlights of membership for you? Well, I became a member of INTA through sort of Lynn because they were a corporate member. And so my first INTA meeting was Seattle, 1994. Mm-hmm. And I initially got involved on the editorial board for the Trademark Reporter. So you do various assignments where you edit works that are submitted by writers who want to have their works published in the journal. Mm-hmm. But um, I found after a while that was a bit academic, and I wanted something a little bit more policy-oriented. So I sort of sought around. I had met some people by going to INTA meetings and getting to know them and sort of sought their guidance. And I sort of fell into the Internet um, arena back in, like, 94, 95. Sure. It was just burgeoning. And I got involved there both through INTA and through my personal life. Um, and uh, so I've, I've served on that committee for quite a number of years because um, I helped draft the Uniform Dispute Resolution Policy that's used by ICANN to resolve disputes between domain owners and uh, trademark owners. And, you know, worked my way through committees. And INTA I, I had a restructuring of its committee um system about eight or nine years ago, and I was grandfathered over to serve another term on the Internet Committee so that they wouldn't lose everyone through the restructuring. Mm-hmm. So I ended up serving for a great many years there and was also chair and vice chair of that committee. Sure, I'm told that um, that committee so, is a popular committee. I know I've, I've tried to get it on it numerous times, but there must be many people who are trying to get on that committee. Well, right now it's about, I think it's a little over 200 people, but... Mm-hmm. At the time I served on it, it was actually a subcommittee of the Emerging Issues Committee. It wasn't even a full committee. Wow. And so that didn't happen until probably 1988, 1999 that it became a full committee. And then it was only about 30 or 40 people. I think when I was chair, it was probably about 45 people on the committee. Mm -hmm. But it has grown, I guess, as the importance has grown. 
um, to everyone's practices and to their brand protection, it's really burgeoned and become very large over the last probably five or six years. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott, what are some of the top items on your agenda uh, once you assume office? Um, I would say that my biggest item is to help INTA um, envision and grow into change. Um, we have a chief executive officer who is taking different and new um, tactics to plug into our strategic plan, which is something he was hired to do. He was hired to bring a new perspective and new energy to the organization. But I don't think as an organization we've done a very good job of training our leadership on leading through change, mm-hmm. people into change. And so my hope is that we will focus on giving leaders, committee chairs, subcommittee chairs, um, tools that they can help the membership embrace and work through and um, perpetuate this change so that we can take INTA to the next level. I mean, I think one of the most important things to remember is everything that got INTA to where it is today is not what is going to get it to the next level. There's going to have to be changes and stretches to get us to the next level. But that can be difficult. It can be a growing pain. You know, it's not comfortable to do new things and to go outside your comfort zone. Right. And so helping people deal with that and, um, you know, work with it. And everyone, I mean, at least corporate members I know, and I would assume those in private practice as well, you all have growing pains. You all have changes that happen during the course of your business. And so these are skills that I think will not only help INTA as it grows and changes and reaches this you know, for the stars with regards to its objectives and its strategy. But I think it will also, our tools that, you know, lawyers and in-house counsel and outside counsel can take back to their own organizations to help them when they deal with change. Are there any specific tools that you're envisioning? I'm hoping that when we do our uh, leadership meeting in Panama, that we will actually focus on um, some of the leadership skills that there have been traditionally done on the Wednesday mm-hmm. at um, the leadership meeting. There's been sort of a leadership seminar and move that more into the mainstream of the education and offer that more as a mainstream so people can plug into it. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any challenges uh, that you're envisioning as you, um, you know, take over uh, the head position over at Intech? Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of things that um, are going to, you know, have a lot of focus. One is the European um, trademark directive and that package of um, changes that are pushing through the European Parliament. I think that is a big challenge that everyone is going to be focused on Mm -hmm. and working hard to make sure that the correct choices are made and that our members' voices are heard when those choices are made by the politicians and that are writing the statutes. I think that's one big thing. I think, secondly, as I can begin to transition out from um, the government, U.S. government's oversight and this idea of what is the next, what is ICANN 2.0, I think that whole issue is really important because, you know, what accountability do they have and to whom do they have it? What mechanisms for holding ICANN accountable for the decisions it's make are there and what role are governments going to play in that? How does that jive 
with the private sector. I think that's the second thing. Sure. I think third is ICANN is going to start doing, start looking at how it handled this first round of expansion and whether it should have a second round or whether it should just be a continuous system, and if so, what should that look like? And as those evaluations are done, and as they begin to look at things, I think it's very important that INTA take a leadership role in making sure that brand owners' voices are heard and that they get some real information about how it affects brands and ultimately consumers mm-hmm. and consumer protection. I understand that there is a strategic plan online at the INTA website. Are all the items on the strategic plan attainable? Um, you know, I do believe they are. I think that they are very practical and they are obtainable. Are they obtainable today? I mean, I think one of the plans is international expansion. Right. And, you know, we're looking hard at um, Asia and at Latin America. I'm not so sure if those are things that will take place at the flip of a switch. I think we began that in earnest last year by having our first um, annual meeting in Southeast Asia, and it was the largest attended um, annual meeting that INTA has ever had outside North America. That's right. We had like approximately 8,500 attendees. And that was an investment we made into China. And so, you know, into China, into China, Southeast Asia, to get those companies and those participants that normally wouldn't participate to come. And I think we had a, a, a the demographic show that we had a great amount of participation from that region. Now, the question is, will that translate to San Diego? Will we see those same folks coming and engaging there? And that's a question that, of course, we will look at. Sure. And we're committed, I think, to opening an office in Singapore in the next few years. Um, I think that that um, is something that we're committed to doing. And then looking at other regions that we might want to think about opening offices so that we can expand our internationalization around the globe. Excellent. That's great to hear. Uh, what would you say are the two top pressing issues for the trademark bar? Is there anything that INTA seeks to get into place in terms of, of legislation or other regulations that are at the top of your agenda? Um, no, I'm not aware of anything that legislatively, other than, like I said, I think that there are some things going on in Europe that, that – um, will require some watching. I think one of the biggest things just that's going to happen to brand owners um, is 3D printing. Yes. And I don't think anyone really knows how it will affect it. I think we all just know that it's coming. It's getting cheaper and easier to do. And, you know, as a brand attorney, I wonder, well, what happens when someone can counterfeit your product but not put your brand on it? Mm -hmm. How do you protect that? So I think design patents may become more important than they've ever been. And I think they've always just sort of been a cast-off for most, you know, trademark attorneys or patent attorneys. There aren't in certain focused industries that, that for which they are, have always been historically very important. Um, and, you know, INTA is holding a seminar uh, March 10th and 11th in New York um, focusing on 3D printing and alternative um, design. Oh, that's excellent. That that's something that people start start looking at and thinking about going. I think I really do believe this is going to be one of the watershed moments in intellectual property protection, probably as big as um, the Internet, in a sense. Fascinating. With respect to membership at INTA, are there any particular regions uh, or countries that INTA will be looking hard at to boost its membership? I understand you mentioned Singapore. Any other places? 
Well, it's not necessarily this, that we're looking to Singapore to boost um, our membership in Singapore. Mm-hmm. We're looking to have a hub office where we can reach out to Asia um, in um, a, an effective and cost-efficient manner. And okay. Singapore offers that. Um, we do believe that, you know, we have a lot of associate members from those areas, but I'm not I don't believe we had as many corporate members as we'd like to have. And those are the kind of members we'd like to try to get involved more, our brand owners from those particular regions. Um, and, and the same to be said of South America and also of, of Africa. There are a great many um, small to medium enterprises in Africa that have wonderful local brands. So I think being involved in INTA and sort of getting that global view so that we can push for harmonization in some of these developing economies um, would be very valuable for the organization. Yes. But as I said, I don't think any of this is going to happen overnight. I think this is a long-range thought process and um, you know, putting in the foundation that we can all build on this forward. Scott, for people just getting started uh, with INTA, maybe they've been a member for a few years, uh, what's the best way for those people to get involved with committees or maybe people who've been practicing for a long time that might now have some extra time to get on a committee? What's the best way to apply for membership? Because I understand that it's, it's difficult to, to get a spot on a committee. Well, you know, we have around 6,500 or so members uh, that's associate and regular members all together. And mm-hmm. we only have about 3,000 spots on committees. So, you know, that is... Um, there's always going to be that sort of deficit. And one of the ways I think to get involved is, first of all, see if there's a particular um, topic that's going to be covered at a forum or a roundtable or anything like that that you have some interest in and see if you can speak or get involved in planning one of those or planning those forums mm-hmm. and um, host some roundtables so you, you, know, you get known as somebody who um, is involved, is excited, is energetic, and who delivers. And then... Always, whether you've done that or not, um, every three years we go through a nominating process and we send out um, applications that are available on the website that you can fill out and request a committee assignment. I think you get up to three choices. Okay. And you should continually do that. But in the meantime, you know, get them, find other ways to get involved. Speaking opportunities, um, opportunities to host things, like if they want to do a pre-annual meeting, cocktail party in your area, um, throw that because you get to work with the staff, you get your name known, and when people start, you know, it's networking there just like anywhere else. Sure. Um, I think that that helps you when you try to raise your visibility and want to push to get on a, a particular committee that's of interest to you. That's excellent, Scott. How can people get in contact with you both now and once you take the home? Well, I think the very best thing to do is just to, if you want to contact me, is to just try to reach me through the um, INTA offices. I I think they'll set up an address for me that will be at INTA okay. so that I can keep that email segregated from everything. They'll do a, um introductory piece on me in the bulletin, and we'll make sure that any details that go out in that first piece, it'll, I'll make sure that it um, it um, has information on how to reach out to me and, and that um in that piece, which should be, I think they print, it comes out like twice a month and the first one will be like January 15th. Excellent. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. We're all looking forward to seeing you uh, as you take the helm of the position at INTA. 
Well, thank you very much for having me today. I think what you're doing um, with this podcast is innovative and creative and bold thinking, and I hope um, everyone enjoys it as much as we do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for this great interview. And now I promise to tell you more about the unrest at the European Patent Office. So first, I want to give you some background information that might be helpful. The examiners at the European Patent Office enjoy a couple of advantages over employees at, for example, the German Patent and Trademark Office. In addition to a very good salary, they basically don't pay any taxes. And, for example, the children are allowed to go to an international school and they enjoy a couple of other benefits. Basically, they are handled very similarly to the um, civil servants of the European uh, Commission. And the European Commission, the EU Commission, had a reform of the salary for their employees. And basically, the employees of the EU are now supposed to work 40 instead of 37 hours a week and they also have to work until their 67th year um, and not only until they are 63. It might be possible that the EU countries had urged the European Patent Office to also work on a similar reform. In addition to that, the president uh, Bernoit Battistelli expressed his goal early on to improve the quality, the output of the European Patent Office, as well as the quantity. And he communicated sometime early last year that he wanted to pay the employees only based on the quality and the quantity of their work and not anymore based on their seniority, basically the number of years that they have worked for the European Patent Office. In this context, it might be interesting to know that the European Patent Office um, made a press release on the 9th of December 2014 that they are now certified based on ISO 9001. So this was a first step probably to achieve the goal of the president for better quality. The president obviously has the full support of the administrative council of the European Patent Office. His contract was extended by three years on the 25th of June 2014, so it will now end on the 30th of June 2018. And this was probably done by the administrative council so that the president can finish the reforms that he started. Another really important information might be information about the leadership style of the president. The leadership style is frequently criticized not only by employees but also by users of the European Patent Office. Employees frequently say that his leadership style is autocratic and single-sided. And one event really heated up the emotions recently. On 3rd of December 2014, a member of the Boards of Appeal was escorted from his office by police at the behest of the President. Only later, at the 10th of December 2014, the Administrative Council 
suspended this member of the Boards of Appeal until 31st of March 2015. And not only the employees, but also patent attorneys from in Europe objected to this move. There were, for example, open letters by patent attorneys, namely one letter by the colleague Dr. Tillmann Müller-Steu of the law firm Badele Pagenberg, saying that the actions of the president removing the member of the Boards of Appeal from his office were not really covered by the European Patent Convention. The same view was taken by senior members of the enlarged Boards of Appeal and a couple of important judges from European civil courts dealing with patent litigation. In general, the situation is really uh, escalating since the beginning of last year. There's basically no month where employees are striking, and not only one or two days, but usually like five to ten days per month or even more. And this happens since about March of last year that the employees are striking. And it is not only very few employees, but usually between three and 10%, sometimes even nearly 30% of people striking. Um, and just uh, for your information, there is about like 7,000 employees. So that's quite a few people that are striking against the actions of the president. Then there were some actions by the president that were also, let's say, fueling the discussion. The president introduced a new rule that employees cannot send emails to more than 50 other employees. And he also changed the rules for voting about strikes. So now 40% of the employees have to be present when voting. And at least 50% of these 40% need to vote for the strike so, so that the strike is legitimate. But uh, these new obstacles seem to be easy to overcome. Some of the votes were like 90% for the strike. Later in December, the president, together with the chairman of the Administrative Council of the European Patent Office, gave an interview to the magazine Managing Intellectual Property. And the president was asked whether he was talking directly to the employees and he replied that his open his door would be open at all times for talks and of course he would be talking to employees where in fact there does not seem to be much evidence that the president is actually talking to the representatives of the employees in these particular matters if you want to read the full interview head over to ipfridays.com slash Battistelli. So www.ipfridays.com forward slash B-A-T-T-I-S-T-E-L-L-I. ipfridays.com slash B-A-T-T-I-S-T-E-L-L-I. In summary, of course, you can expect... Uh, opposition by employees if the privileges or the salary is cut or somehow diminished. But uh, this is a completely different quality, in my opinion. The strikes are going on now for nearly a year. 
and there is no real solution in sight. There is no open dialogue between the uh, representatives of the employees and the president. That would be really helpful, I think. The applicants and the European patent attorneys are a little bit um, irritated about this situation and it would, would be really helpful if the parties would find a constructive form of dialogue and find a solution to this problem. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.